All right, we'll head back to your seats, and as you do, something I never do, we'll start with a joke. There was a new missionary recruit who went to Venezuela for the first time and was struggling with the language, not understanding a lot of what was going on. Decided to visit a local church. Having arrived late, the church was packed and the only seat was on the front row. He thought he didn't want to be in front of everybody, but he'd sit in the front row. But in order not to look like a fool, he decided to pick someone out of the crowd to imitate. He followed the man sitting next to him. When he stood up, he stood up. When he sat down, he sat down. When he clapped, he clapped. When they cheered, he cheered. It was all going well until midway through the service, the preacher made an announcement. All of a sudden, the gentleman next to him stood up. So quickly, he stood up again. And all of a sudden, a hush fell over the congregation. He sat back down very quickly. At the end of the service, the preacher stood at the door, shaking the hands of people who were leaving. When he approached the preacher, the preacher said to him in English, I take it you don't speak Spanish. The missionary said, was it, is it that obvious? He said, well, it wasn't until I made an announcement that the Rodriguez family had a newborn baby boy. And would the proud father please stand up? I thought that was pretty good. And here's the very long bow to get us into the preaching this morning. You know, there's a saying, isn't there, sometimes, that we've just got to fake it till we make it. And that actually is exactly what James is coming against. He's saying, I don't want a people who are just faking it. So we've been in a series studying through this letter entitled Bold Living. He is a, a bold guy, James, and he's got this passion to see a people living well, living for the gospel, living for the glory of God. And he just goes for the jugular. There's no stone that's left unturned, and we've covered all sorts of territory as we've studied through this little book. And we're heading now to chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me. Verse 13, finishing off this series that we've been in for some months. So as you turn there, as we prepare our hearts, let me pray. Father, just thank you for this journey that we've been on, a journey through the book of James, but a journey as your people. And I pray that as we've prayed each and every time and as we continue to gather around your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you'd open our eyes and the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to know you more. We want to behold you until we become like you. Thank you that you are, as we've already prayed this morning, like that father who loves us so much that you bring correction, that you recalibrate our hearts, that you... Show us areas of our lives that we need to, to deal with in your mercy and in your kindness. You continue the good work that you've begun in us. So we ask through the power of your spirit, Lord, breathe upon your word and may it come alive in our hearts, in our midst. Stir us, encourage us, inspire us, do whatever is in you, on your heart. And give us listening ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read together. And I'm hoping that there'll be no question mark as to James's focus here. I mean, there's many things in this particular passage that we could draw out. 
But there's one in particular that leads us into this coming week. He says this. We're going to read through the passage and then we're going to come back and just focus on a few different areas in the Scripture. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him... Let's say the word together. What do we do? Let him pray. And I want you to notice how many times this becomes a resounding theme in this passage. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit my brothers if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins so as I said, there's a number of different elements in here that would be worthy of our attention, but there's one, and forgive my overemphasis, but I didn't want us to miss the reality. As Pastor James concludes his letter as he leaves his people, as he leaves us with this final exhortation, it is drenched, it's surrounded, it's bookmarked, it's earmarked, whatever phrase you want to use by one reality, and that is prayer. He says, pray by yourself. In the midst of circumstances, pray. If you're sick, if you're struggling, if there's stuff going on, call the elders and pray with them. He's saying, never stop praying for one another. Confess your sins. Pray for one another. And then, of course, he gives us one of the most wonderful verses and pictures, not only in this particular book, I think, but in all of the scriptures concerning prayer persevere in prayer, pray and keep on praying the kind of prayers that impact and change the world around you. Personal prayer, healing, specific prayer, confessional prayer, persevering prayer. In fact, I think you could go as far as to say one of the great measurements, I found this in my life personally, and I'd suggest it's the same in a community of faith, in a church if you want to know how healthy a church is, if I want to examine how healthy my own walk with the Lord is, one thing that's right up on that list is, how's my prayer life? How's my prayer life? How's the passion for prayer in my own life? Where's the desire for God's people in a community to gather to seek in prayer, when they're struggling in circumstances, when they're sick and suffering, when there's, there's issues, sin, things to deal with, where there's stuff going on all around them. Where's the place in a believer's life or in the midst of the people of God for prayer? One of the vital indicators 
of health, I believe, is in fact prayer. So I want to look at just some of these different aspects of prayer that James highlights. And to be honest, let me say up front that each and every one of these would be worthy of its own sermon series. So if we listen well, I should have us out by two o'clock this afternoon. But let's look, first of all, at this area of personal prayer. It's how he begins. If anyone among you is suffering, then pray. And really, this word for suffering here, what's he talking about? First of all, he's saying that anyone. So if anybody is suffering, and suffering literally means experiencing trouble, hardness, or enduring affliction. I mean, that's, that's a pretty broad category, isn't it? If there's any stuff going on in your life all around you, where's the best place to go? Grumbling, complaining, wallow in it a little bit. None of the above. The best place at all times, in all circumstances, for us to go to is prayer. And you see, Jesus regularly taught on prayer. He modeled prayer. He taught his followers to pray. And he gave us some wonderful parables that show us different aspects of prayer. One of these particular parables, we won't turn there in the interest of time, is found in Luke 18. And it's a parable often entitled, The Persistent Widow and the Unjust Judge. And there's no lack of clarity as to what Jesus is trying to encourage his listeners with. Sometimes with the parables, it's left a little bit open. At times the disciples come to him and say, what was that all about? What were you trying to say? Whereas in this one, up front, Luke tells us in chapter 18, he says, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. So up front, there's, there's, no, there's a clear intention here. Jesus is saying, this is my heart in giving you this picture, is that you would not lose heart, that you would not be discouraged, and that you would always pray. And that's worth bearing in mind because he's going to paint this strange picture. And if you read on, I'll give you the very brief version. But we see here this persistent widow. We don't know exactly what her injustice is, but she's got this burden to approach the judge crying out for justice. Instantly, we can see that this is a hopeless situation because in that particular time, in that particular era, a woman's testimony was not held as valid in a court of law. And not only is this lady a woman, but she's a widow. She's got nobody else around her who can stand as her advocate. Otherwise, they'd be there. No children, obviously no husband. There's no one. She's all on her own. And even in an instance where there was a just judge, her case would be hopeless. But the story gets worse. So we have this widow who's pleading for justice and we have an unjust judge, which Luke tells us, or Jesus tells us, recorded by Luke, is someone who had no regard for men or for God. He is unjust. He is ungodly. What's the point? What, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? He paints a picture of the ultimate hopeless situation. Like if you look at these, this particular scenario on paper, what is the percentage chance that this particular woman would receive justice? 
you'd have to say, looking at the facts, conclude that there's zero chance. There is absolutely no chance in this particular circumstance that looking at the facts of situation, there's going to be a good outcome. And yet because of this woman's persistence, the judge eventually relents and gives her justice. And this is Jesus' response at the end of that particular parable. He says this, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? So he paints this hopeless scenario and he says, Did did you see what just happened there? Did you catch that? Even in this hopeless scenario where there was no chance of a favourable outcome because of this woman's persistence, the unjust judge who cares not for God, who certainly doesn't care for a, a helpless, hopeless widow, still gives her justice. How much more would a loving heavenly father, a God who cares about you, give justice to his elect. Like he paints, sometimes he paints these opposite pictures. He, he says elsewhere, he says, if you being evil fathers, just talking about the fact that we're fallen and sinful, if you still give good gifts to your children, how much more does your loving heavenly father, who's perfect in every way, desire and long to give good gifts to his children? He's saying even here in this hopeless, helpless scenario, justice was eventually achieved. How much more for us, the ones whom he does love, the ones whom he has given everything for. He's willing, he's able, he hears our prayers, he responds speedily with great haste. He's our advocate, our help, and it's his delight to defend and move on behalf of his people. How much more? And this is a picture of prayer. And I love how he finishes that particular parable. Because he then kind of leaves this open-ended question. He says, but will the Son of Man, will Jesus find such faith on the earth when he returns. See, he's kind of giving us this invitation personally. If you were in that kind of widow's position, if you lost everything, if if it was was a, a hopeless, helpless situation, where would we be in our lives? Would we have the same faith to press in in prayer? When everything else around us is going against us. Will we be that kind of people that regardless of what's going on, we will not lose heart, we will not be discouraged, we will not give up. So there is this opening thing as James begins talking about prayer. He's saying, is anyone among you suffering? And he would have well known that there was many people in his congregation, we believe it was a church that was under a lot of persecution. A lot of hardship. So it's that invitation. Will you recognize the reality that you have to pray? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Do not lose heart. Do not be discouraged. Do not give up. He then moves on. Here's the second aspect of prayer, specifically focusing on healing. He says, is anyone among you sick? 
Well, here's the response. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith, prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, a couple of points here. First of all, this certainly is talking about physical illness. But the word here for sick, is anyone among you sick? It means more than just physical illness. It literally means anyone who's needy, weak, powerless, oppressed. So we could broaden slightly perhaps what we might read into this passage and say, is anyone among you in need, physically, mentally, emotionally? If you are, here's the place that you go, you go and ask for prayer from the elders, the leaders of the church, and, and get seek prayer for whatever ailment it is. And the prayer of faith, is the promise, will save that word sozo there. It's not talking about salvation in a what we would normally think sense. It's literally talking about being made whole. If, if any among you is Sick, suffering, physically, mentally, emotionally. What do you do? You go and get prayer. Kind of sounds simple, doesn't it? (laughs) Find the elders and get some prayer. And I want to raise that for this reason. I think at times we unnecessarily complicate this whole thing of healing. Like for James, it's so simple. If you're sick, if you're oppressed mentally, emotionally, physically... Go and get prayer. Whereas, I don't know about you, but I've had many people wrestling through this. And rather than going and get prayer, we're like, well, I better just seek out, first of all, is, is this the Lord's will? I mean, does he want me to be sick? Does he, maybe he wants me to suffer a little bit here with this. Maybe there's just some, some stuff that I need to, you know, battle through and wrestle through. You know, maybe I need to get my theology all worked out first. There's none of that in there, is there? He literally just says, if you're sick, if you're suffering, if you're physically, mentally oppressed, then here's what you need to do. Go and seek out healing. God is a God who loves to heal. And I know that part of the reason that I think we overcomplicate things is that there is a tension and that there is a a mystery at times with healing. All of us could probably have our own stories of disappointment, of hurts, of prayers that we prayed for people that haven't gone perhaps the way that we thought they might go. But the encouragement here in the book of James is really clear to the point that I would say for us not to believe for healing, for us not to pray in for healing, for us if we're sick not to ask for healing, is to stand directly against God's character and against the specific instruction of Scripture. Yes, there's a mystery and yes, there's a tension, but there's a call on us as believers not to reduce our theology to the level of our disappointments. But for us to live out what Scripture actually says, it's really simple for James. If anybody, if anyone's sick and suffering, come and get some prayer. Get the elders. They'll lay hands on you. God loves to heal. The prayer of faith will raise them up. We could look all the way through Scripture for, for this, these proclamations. Exodus fifteen twenty six. God proclaims, I am the Lord who heals you. 
Psalm 103, verse 2 to 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. Scripture proclaims God to be a healing God. Jesus' ministry was marked by healings of all different kinds. The early church, there was healing everywhere. God is a God who heals. We've got to pray. We've got to believe. We've got to press in for healing. Embrace the tension and the mystery. I, I could share my own stories. I've shared them many times. We had a girl who, our, our eldest daughter in utero, was so sick that the doctors gave her less than a 5% chance of survival. It's a miracle she was even born. And even then, for five years of her life, she lived with this serious heart condition. And we pressed in for healing every day of her life. We prayed more than once a day. We, we prayed with her. We prayed for her. We prayed over her. We anointed her with oil for, for five years. And there's a tension and there's a mystery. And I know many of you have probably prayed for things for much longer than five years. You think five years would be nothing. And then at the end of five years, she had, most of you know the story, she had this encounter with Jesus. She had a vision of Jesus. Describe what he looked like. We were overseas traveling at the time, getting prayers in a healing rooms, healing room center, and she's miraculously healed. And she, she knew after the encounter, she said, Daddy, I'm healed. And at that time, she's on heavy medication, so great man of faith I am. I said, I believe you, sweetheart, and I believe Jesus. I just want to hear the doctor's word first. So let's just keep you on your medication until we can get home and do some tests. And we got home. We did the tests. I did one round of tests and then took her off the medication, a whole other round of tests. And the doctor said this. He says, not only is the heart healed, there's no evidence that there ever was an issue. That was the pronouncement. God is a God of healing. There's a tension and there's a mystery. You know, there's five years of prayer. There's, I could share stories of a time in my life where I had a few years just with crippling arthritis. And I was so frustrated because I was seeking and pressing in to God for healing. And it was Peter, actually, he said to me at one point, he said, well, you know, it's not always an instant thing. It would be just as much a miracle if in 12 months' time you could stand before people and say that there was no pain in your body as it is if, you know, the angel shows up in your room and taps you and vision of Jesus and all of a sudden you're instantly healed. I mean, I'll take that any day of the week. Lord, bring on that. I'm happy with that. But sometimes it's a journey. And that was a journey. And against all medical advice, I can now and have been for five years completely pain-free from arthritis in my body. There was no moment. There was no... And I want to share one other story. I came across this particular... Is that all right? One more story of healing because I just thought this was fantastic. And the whole idea here is, is I want us to be able to raise our faith to what the Bible actually says rather than giving up because something is in the too hard basket. I've got one of my girls who, um, well, they're all so different, aren't they? But I've got this one in particular that's so inquisitive. And if you say something, she's got 100 questions. Like, well, but how does it work? And you know, how does this happen? And so I've been going through with her. There's a great series of books by Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, Case for a Creator, Case for Faith. And there's this one book that he's just recently done. This is the kids' version that talks about 
a case for miracles. And he shares just some incredible stories of what God's done. Can I share one of those with you? Because I, I read this and it just stirred something in my heart. This is a lady named Barbara. And he's interviewing a guy called Dr. Keener. So this is Lee Strobel writing this. He says, Dr. Keener went on to discuss another well-documented case. He said, I personally interviewed Barbara, this lady Barbara, who was diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic with progressive multiple sclerosis. I've confirmed the facts with the two physicians who treated her and there are numerous, numerous independent witnesses to her condition with years of medical records. In fact, two of her doctors were so astounded by her case that they've written about it in books. So here's Barbara's story. It says, when Barbara was in high school, she was a gymnast, she played flute in the orchestra, but symptoms began appearing. She'd trip over, she'd bump into walls and was eventually unable to even grasp the rings in the gym. Eventually, her condition got worse. She had spinal taps and all sorts of other tests which all confirmed the diagnosis of progressive multiple sclerosis. After thoroughly examining her case, doctors at the Mayo Clinic agreed with the diagnosis. Over the next 16 years, Barbara got worse and worse. She spent months in hospital, often for pneumonia. One lung functioned at less than 50%. She needed a tracheotomy tube in order to breathe. She lost control of all bowel movements. She went legally blind. She could no longer read. And she could only see objects as grey shadows. A feeding tube was inserted into her stomach. Her abdomen was swollen grotesquely because of the muscles, all the muscles of her intestine did not work. And eventually one of her doctors said that she had less than six months to live. You'd have to agree that is a pretty hopeless, helpless scenario. One day, don't you like those, but one day, someone called in Barbara's story to the radio station of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. The radio station asked for listeners to pray fervently for Barbara. Some 450 Christians wrote letters to her church saying they were lifting up Barbara in prayer. Then Pentecost Sunday, what a, what a good day that is. 1981, her aunt came over to read her some of the letters in which two people offered prayer for healing. Two of Barbara's girlfriends joined them. Suddenly during a lull in the conversation, Barbara heard a man's voice speak from behind her, even though no one else was in the room. The voice had great authority, but also great compassion. And the words were clear. My child, get up and walk. When one of Barbara's friends saw that Barbara was getting worked up, she plugged Barbara's tracheotomy hole so that Barbara could speak. She, she, they could tell she was saying, I don't know what you're going to do about this, but God just told me to get up and walk. He did. Run and get my family. I want them here with us. Her friends ran out and yelled for her family, come quick, come quick, something's happening. Barbara literally jumped out of bed. She was standing for the first time in years. She took off oxygen tube. Her vision was back. She no longer had trouble breathing even without the oxygen. Her body was no longer twisted. She could freely move her feet and her hands. Her mother ran into the room and dropped to her knees, feeling Barbara's calves. You've got muscles again, she exclaimed. Her father came in, hugged her and whisked her off for a waltz around the family room, the doctor said. Everyone moved to the living room to offer a tearful prayer of thanksgiving, although Barbara found it hard to sit still. That evening, that same evening, there was a worship service at Wheaton Wesleyan Church where Barbara's family attended. Most of the congregation knew about Barbara's grave condition. During the service, when the pastor asked if anyone had any announcements, Barbara stepped into the center aisle and casually strolled towards the front with her heart pounding. 
Whispers came from all parts of the church. The doctor noted people started clapping and then as if led by a divine conductor, the entire congregation began to sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then it goes on. She got, she, um, got tests in the doctor's office and now 35 years later she's lived without any further symptoms of the disease. That might be a good moment just to... You know, he, he is a healing God. He is a God who heals. And I, for one, believe that there will be a day where the church once again is marked by his healing presence in our midst. I look forward to that day where people who've been bedridden, who haven't walked for years, come walking down the aisle at church. And I, for one, believe that's something that's worth pressing in for, that's worth praying for. Amen? We could do a whole sermon there, but I'm only in the introduction here. We've got to keep moving on. You can come see me afterwards, Dan. Yeah. Let's have a talk at the end. I've got to move on here. Just stay there, Nan. Thank you, though. I'd love to hear your miracle, but we've just got to flow through here in, in the message and get you all out to suit. So specific prayer for healing. The next one here is he says, the prayer of faith will raise up the one who is sick. And then verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, he's trying to identify some of these different areas of prayer. We've talked about individual prayer, praying when there's stuff going on around us. We've talked about specific prayer for healing if you're sick, if you're suffering. And here he talks about this reality of confessional prayer. He doesn't say confess your sins and judge one another. He doesn't say confess your sins and let the person who's next down the prayer chain know about the confession. He's saying pray for one another. And, you know, as I read that, I was kind of challenged because I don't know how often my prayer life is marked by that reality of specifically praying for other people who I know are struggling in sin. I don't know how many people I have that I confess And get praying when I'm struggling in particular areas in my life. But there's this wonderful reality and invitation. In order to confess, we first got to admit and own our stuff. We can be far too quick to justify and to deny, to overlook the issues of our heart. And I say that for this reason. We're going to spend time this week praying. Praying that we'd see the miraculous. Praying that God would move. But, you know, there's never been a move of God. There's never been a revival without genuine, heartfelt, life-altering repentance. Without a people who are willing to actually till the soils of our hearts. And that's got to begin here. In our midst. With a passionate desire to own our stuff and to confess it. And the promise is, he says, confess and pray that you may be healed. And, and again, healing there is talking about restoration. See, we all have this tendency to stray off the path. We just do. But we have this privilege of being able, where we do, where, where we wander, of pulling one another back. And that's, in fact, where James lands this whole letter. 
his final verse there. He says, if anyone strays off, don't write them off. Now, don't close the door. Go after them. Remember, you're in this together. Have each other's backs. Encourage one another. Uplift one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins. Be open. Let the confessing be real. Let the praying for one another be equally as real. And then that flows on then to this next reality, and it's the last reality. Because the prayers of the righteous are of great power as they are working. And there's two very quick realities that I want to draw out of that one particular verse, a verse that we know, a verse that we love. Well, what does he mean when he says that prayers are of great power? And what does he mean when he says, as they are working out? What's the power and how is it worked out? So first of all, how powerful are these prayers? Well, the example he gives us, he says, look at Elijah. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed and it rained again. And he was a man just like you. You know, I think that's an invitation. How powerful can the prayers of the righteous be? Well, at least as powerful as Elijah who shaped the course of an entire nation. So why don't you lift your expectancy for your prayers just a little? This is the reality of what James is saying. Lift your expectancy of what you might see your prayers do, even this week as we pray. What do we truly believe God can do? Do we, do we believe that you know, we might have a few nice times in prayer? I pray that we do. That there might be a few little miracles. We might see you know, just a few glimpses of his grace, and I pray that we do. How many of us genuinely have the faith to believe that as we gather this week to pray as a people, that our prayers could literally shape the course of a nation. According to his plans, of course, it's not about us. We'll talk about that in a moment. Lord, stir our hearts that that might be our level of expectancy as we pray. But equally as important as recognizing the power of prayer is recognizing the process of prayer. You see, Elijah was only ever obedient to what he felt God saying. And even that alone is such an encouragement to me. If you read, we don't have time to set up the particular scene here with Ahab and Jezebel. But this was arguably the most wicked period in Israel's history. I mean, Jezebel, we all know the name. And she led the people astray to worship other gods. There was immorality, there was idolatry. You name it, it was happening not just in the world around them, but within the lives of the very people of God, the covenant people of God. I mean, God had every right just to smite them off the face of the earth. And yet, even there, in the midst of that wickedness, still he was outworking his plans. Still he was raising up a righteous people who would grab a hold of what he was doing and partner with him to see it accomplished. That's what we see as we read this picture. Still, even there, it doesn't matter what goes on around us. It doesn't matter how dark things in this world might be. 
God is at work. God will be at work until he returns. And God is looking for a people like Elijah who will not just give up, throw in the towel, well, that's it. It's all, you know, it's, it's gone down that particular, I'm not having anything to do with it. But grab a hold of what God is doing and partner with him to see that accomplished. And so, of course, if you read on 1 Kings 18, 19, you can read this story in your own time. Not only does Elijah get this word of God, and you know, if you're anything like me, I would have perhaps heard God speaks to Elijah and says, I'm going to bring rain. That's all. Time to get the deck chair out and pour a pina colada and sit back and watch the whole scenario unfold. But rather than that, Elijah grabs a hold of this word and he knows that he has a part to play in bringing it to pass. So he's there, of course, on the mountain with his servant. He kneels down and he prays. He says to the servant, can you see anything yet? Again and again and again and again. We know the story. And eventually the servant says, there's a a cloud just the size of a man's fist. You see... That's a whole different area of prayer, isn't it? God had already spoken it. God had proclaimed. He said, go and tell Ahab, this is what I'm going to do. And yet Elijah still recognized that he had a part to play. Not so much petitioning the Lord, but proclaiming, decreeing, declaring what it was that God was wanting to do. Grabbing a hold of his word to see it come to be. So I I know what we've really done this morning is just kind of had this brief snapshot and each of those we could have developed far more than we did. But my heart this morning was simply this, to stir each of us, to stir us up in this area of prayer. If you're in the midst of stuff, pray. If you're sick and suffering, pray. And let's be a people who are always looking for opportunities to pray, to pray for healing, to pray for deliverance. At all times, confessing our sin to one another and praying for each other in that way. Lord, make us a righteous people. Help us deal with the stuff. And then as Elijah did, grabbing a hold of the purposes of God in our time, in our circumstances, and partnering with him in prayer until we see the purpose of God unfolding before us. Too often, I believe, our prayer lives are passive. They grow cold. We we give up. And so I pray that if nothing else, in some way, in some of those areas, hopefully in all of those areas, our hearts have been stirred. And that's what I'm going to pray for us This morning, and as I said, it's not often we get to do this, but we have a whole week to put into practice the sermon. It's my gift to you. You're welcome. But we're beginning a week of prayer. We're going to join together to do exactly this. And I'm hoping there will be moments of that personal prayer. I'm hoping there'll be moments of praying specifically for breakthrough, of, of laying on hands and anointing with oil for the sick to be healed. I'm praying that there'll be moments of confessing our sins to one another and praying 
that we'd be restored, that we'd be strengthened, that we'd be righteous. And I'm praying that there would be moments for us where, like Elijah, God just speaks and we grab a hold of what it is that he is doing here in our midst, in our city, in our nation. And let's be a persistent people who know that our power is not to make strategies and programs, but to stay on our knees and to continue to pursue God until we see the fullness of what he's promised. Can we stand? I don't know if there's a worship team member. We've said already that there is a soup available this morning, so love to invite you to hang around for that. But before we get to the time of fellowship, just as, as you close your eyes, as we give the Lord a bit of space, we've heard his word proclaimed and now we want to just allow him to just cause to go deep within us that which is of him, of the Spirit of God. And of course, this morning, there's an opportunity for each and every one of us to receive prayer. We have a prayer team who would love to pray with you about any and every prayer need you have. It genuinely is a a privilege and a joy to be able to stand and agree together. Of course, we have the prophetic teams as well. But let's just pray as we shift gears. So Father, just thank you for the words of James. Thank you for this urgency, for this encouragement that he gives to his people and that through his words that we read and are equally encouraged. All around this this priority, but this privilege of prayer. And God, I do pray that you would make me, that you would make us a people of persistent prayer. That whatever's going on like that persistent widow, regardless of how hopeless things seem, we know that our power is to come before you. Not to give up in despondency and discouragement, but to press in in prayer for justice. Lord, I pray that we would be a people or raise our expectation, particularly stirring in my heart is for the area of healing, to believe for healing, to press in for healing. Lord, for anybody who is sick and suffering this morning, I pray for that that bold, passionate desire like the woman with the issue of blood where she she just knew that if she could just touch Jesus... Lord, I pray for that that kind of bold faith for those who are, are sick and suffering to press in until they receive the healing that they seek. I pray that we would be a people who know what it is to confess and to pray for one another in our areas of weakness. And Lord, I pray that we would have that, that bold passion of Elijah to see what it is that you're doing in in the world around us, in our city, to grab a hold of your promises. The power of persistent prayer. Stir our hearts, I ask this morning. Stir our hearts, I pray.
even as we head into this prayer week, we just thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers. You're a God who is with us, a God who is willing and who is able to hear our cries, to answer our prayers. And we look forward, Lord, with expectancy to all that you will do in us, all that you will accomplish through us as this week unfolds. We pray that in Jesus' name. So let's get the prayer team to come forward. Prophetic team, you can come forward when you're ready as well. If you've got your name down for the prophetic ministry, you can head over to my right, your left. Someone there will facilitate that with you. But if you need prayer for anything this morning, before you head off for soup and fellowship, now's the time. Just come forward and we'd love to just join together with you in prayer. In the name of the Lord Jesus.